Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. Well, welcome again to C2 Church. So glad that you're with us as we enter our second week in our series called Shades of Gray. If you didn't have a chance to be with us last week, I encourage you to go to c2church.com and uh, click on the media button and you can find the podcast there. And uh, that'll kind of be the beginning and kind of the setup of what we're going to talk about today. Certainly you'll follow along just fine uh, today if you weren't with us last week. So we're continuing our, our series called Shades of Gray. Last week we talked about navigating the gray and today we're going to talk about pulling marriage out of the gray. Marriage has become sort of that gray area of controversy for many people at least in, in America and in the Western culture. It's become a uh, somewhat of a political issue and last year uh, during uh, the voting season um, several years ago during the voting season, we talked about the value of marriage and, and uh, someone mentioned to me that they thought it was a political issue and we shouldn't be speaking on political issues and uh, I reminded them that long before it ever went into the arena of politics, it was a biblical issue. It was in the Bible long, long before. Uh, marriage is, as we go along this morning, I want to remind you that in regards to our, our government, the government doesn't care about love in marriage. When I went to get the marriage certificate, uh, license of marriage from our county in Minnesota where we got married, Darcy and I, 17 years ago, went there. They did not ask me if I loved her. They didn't care. They didn't ask me if I would be faithful to her as long as I live. They didn't care about that either. Uh, For whatever reason, our government has entered marriage. Uh, I somehow fit whatever the legal uh, things were, and uh, they did ask me if, I, if she was my cousin. We're not, so we were good there. <laughs> so they granted me a license. Today I'm talking about covenant marriage as described in the Bible, and described in the Bible for believers or followers of Jesus. In our discussion, we're not talking about equality. Everyone deserves to be treated with dignity And with grace. We're not talking about equality. We're not talking about what private businesses can and cannot do. If the government wants to tax you or give you tax benefits based on your relational status, that is up to them. Perhaps we should have never turned marriage over to our government, but we're not talking about rights today, what rights you do or do not have. I'm talking about righteousness in regards to marriage as defined by the Bible for believers. So yes, I am blaming the Bible. Uh, the, the Bible is letting me off the hook. I'm not giving you my opinion, but the Bible informs me of what the truth is. If you, were with, if you weren't with us last week, here are three quick points of what last week's message was about. We talked about navigating the gray areas of life, and these were three ways that I found to navigate gray areas in my life. One, I trust God and I trust what he says. The Bible informs me of that. So number two, I act according to what he says, not just what it says. If we refer to the Bible as an it, it becomes just an object, but the Bible is living and active. It is the word and words of God applicable for today. So I act according to what God says, and I submit my desires to God. My desires can be very contrary to to what Scripture says, and so I would do best to submit my desires to God because I do believe He wants the best for me. 
in controversial or even sometimes what we find as acceptable issues, a good question to ask is how would Jesus act? What I notice as I read through the Gospels is that Jesus doesn't categorize people. How many of you categorize people? Okay, I just categorized you as people who raise their hands and people who don't raise their hands. See, we just do it all the time. We categorize people. There are the people who agree with me and the people who disagree. There's the the right and the left. There's this and there's that. And we begin to categorize people. And sometimes it informs how we act and feel towards people. But Jesus did not act in such a manner. In fact, when he called his disciples, his closest followers to himself, he didn't call them to change their behavior or to stop sinning. He simply called them to himself. That's the first act of grace that Jesus did was calling them to himself. And he didn't limit access to him based on proximity to sin. He didn't limit people's access to him based on their proximity to their own sin. In any area of controversy, we would simply do well to follow Jesus ourselves. Though none go with me, still I will follow, as the song says. It's not behavior modification first, it's an act of belief to follow Jesus. Carl Lentz, the the pastor of Hillsong Church, New York, was pressed by Katie Couric in an interview on his stance on, on gay marriage. And he said, I simply have a stance on love. Everything else we have conversations on. I thought that was a good response. Not because it downplays the stance that any of us should take on what the Bible says, but simply because the greatest stance you can stand on is love. When I defend my marriage, I'm doing what is biblical. Listen to what I said. When I defend my marriage, my marriage, when I defend my marriage, I am doing what is biblical. I don't need to devalue, diminish, or destroy those who disagree with me. I will stand for truth. And the Bible informs me as a believer, as a follower of Christ, of what truth is. I'm not gray in that area of my life. But neither is it a biblical baseball bat to walk out of this room this morning and begin to bash people with that, saying, well, you don't believe as I believe. The Bible informs us of how God operates and how we are to operate with him in relationship. And then Christ begins to inform us. The New Testament informs us as believers how we should operate. I'm not shocked how unbelievers, people who are not followers of Christ, how they act. It doesn't shock me that they don't do what the Bible says. Here's a clue. They don't believe in the Bible. They don't follow. It doesn't shock me. My conversations then, although informed by the Bible, are not meant to destroy those who do not believe in the Bible. Scripture doesn't command marriage, but it does commend it. It doesn't command people to get married, but it does commend marriage. It does speak to what the ideal marriage would look like. It also, in, in our talk about marriage, let's be clear, church, that singleness is not leprosy. Amen. Okay? <laughs> that was a very strong amen. Okay. <laughs> but be careful how you view your own singleness. We are learning to walk in the gray both as married couples and as single people. Divorced, remarried, we can all walk according to 
Scripture. But church, let's be careful how we treat single people. Sometimes we can form questions and thoughts. You know, it's sort of we speak before we think. So when are you going to get married? <laughs> That's the, that basically is saying, what is wrong with you? Okay, we, we don't need that. You know, you're too young to get married. Darcy and I heard that a lot. Um, we were too young, apparently. I, I don't know what the proper age is. I think there's a legal age, obviously. Don't, let's not go there. <laughs> but we were often told we, we were way too young to get married. And so uh, I've just considered that uh, I was done uh, with smelly guys uh, in college life, so uh, I married a girl. So it worked out well for me. I've had someone to take life's journeys with all along the way. Let me say this to... To young people, there's no pressure to get married, um, and marrying young is not a bad thing. Someone once said, well, you probably missed out on all of life's adventures, and I said, no, actually, I've had somebody to take all those adventures with, and when we look at photos, we don't go, who are those people? I don't even remember those people from college. We shared life's adventures, so that's a little side note moving on. Here's, here's our social media buzz for this morning. Whip out your smartphone, your smart device, and uh, like Christian Chapel on Twitter or Facebook. We don't have a Pinterest account yet, um, but like us, friend us, whatever you do on that, and throw this out. Biblical marriage doesn't need a defense as much as it needs awesome examples. Biblical marriage doesn't need a defense as much as it needs awesome examples. There will be time to defend what Scripture says but it needs more awesome examples. And I think people are drawn to real-life uh, situations where Jesus is glorified. This morning, our scripture, as you're tweeting that out or putting it on Facebook, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 3. We have the notes on you version as well. The question is, what does Jesus say about marriage? What does Jesus say about marriage? In Matthew chapter 19... Starting in verse 3, the scripture's not only on you version, but uh, if you have those old school Bibles with pages in it like this, you can flip there. Otherwise, it'll be on the screen. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is addressing the religious people of the day, and he says some interesting things. Uh, third verse of Matthew chapter 19. Some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you the truth that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The, di the, the disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. <laughs> if I can't divorce and I have to live with that woman forever? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. Again, we're looking at marriage according to the Bible for those who proclaim followership of Jesus. And as we talk about this ideal of marriage, we realize the sinfulness of people. 
We understand the circumstances of life and the broken systems of our world conspire against this ideal. Many of you may find yourself in a place of having been divorced or probably maybe going through that situation, maybe having remarried. There's grace. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This grace is enough for you and whatever situation you find yourself in. So please hear that this morning. I find it interesting as this passage unfolds that the religious people are asking about the law. Is it lawful for a man? Notice how Jesus engages them. He doesn't necessarily refer to the law or what is legal. He refers to Scripture. He refers back to the beginning. His quote comes from the book of Genesis. Marriage, according to Jesus, number one, is created to be, it was created by God. Marriage was God's idea. Jesus was quoting Genesis chapter 2. That in the beginning, the creator created marriage with purpose and love. And there's a couple of reasons that I believe that Scripture points us to God, God's purpose in marriage. One was procreation. In Genesis 1, he says, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. This is the ideal of raising healthy children. This is the ideal setting for raising children in that they would populate and be good stewards of the vast earth. And in procreation, we would find purposeful recreation. Some of you are thinking about that. Okay. Purposeful recreation. Take notes. All right. Number two, after procreation, is companionship. Genesis chapter 2 says that God looks at man and says, it is not good that man should be alone. But he creates out of man woman, and a relationship that would also glorify him. And in this, we would see a mirror of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they operate as one we would also see in a marriage. I use this, this uh, graphic in many of my pre-marriage counseling sessions is talking about how husband and wife relate to each other, but both submitted to God, and this creates the ideal marriage. That's not a marriage free from problems, but when both husband and wife are submitted to God and operate with God as their head, it is a healthy biblical marriage. This is an example of how the Trinity of God would operate. The spouse is not before Jesus. The children don't come before Jesus. But we put God ahead of everything else. If you're familiar with Fifty Shades of Grey, the movie coming out and its topics of submission and domination, submission does make a hot marriage, but let's be clear about it. It's submission according to Ephesians 5, 21. Submit yourselves one to another as unto the Lord. Boom, tweet that. I haven't seen the movie, so I'm only going off what I've studied and read. But Paul, the apostle, says, submit one to another as unto the Lord. This is the priority in marriage, is a mutual submission to Christ, to submit and serve. This word submission is this idea of willingly placing yourself underneath. In order to submit, you have to have a position of power. Otherwise, you are just being dominated. But one who stands in a position of power, who willingly submits to another, and if both 
people in the marriage are submitting to each other, you find all of your needs met as you serve and submit to each other. And in this marriage created by God, you'll find all romance, joy, fulfillment, pleasure. But it's all based on the principled practice of love, not on feelings. Hear that. It's based on the principled practice, meaning the disciplined practices of love. It takes work. And it's not based on how I feel. Many marriages see their spouse as a benefit to be had. I married you to benefit me. That's the opposite of what marriage was intended to be. You marry to benefit the other, to serve them, not to be served. Some marriages see the other spouse as basically a roommate, someone to split the chores with. That is not a good way to run a marriage. God had much bigger plans for marriage. Jesus, going on and quoting Genesis, gives us this framework for marriage for believers. It's between one man and one woman. The Bible just doesn't define it any other way. When Jesus was speaking, there would be no other way to understand what he meant. There are imperfect and ungodly examples in the Bible. The book of uh, or the King Solomon had 700 wives. He's not the smartest guy on the world in the world, but uh, apparently he was the wisest. I'm not sure how that all lines up. There were reasons. Well, that's a whole other sermon. We'll but there are imperfect people and ungodly people in Scripture that aren't necessarily the example of what perfect ideal marriage were supposed to be. Between one man and one woman, many people these days are okay with this idea of, well, if we just live together before we get married. It, kind of a trial run. I always think, oh, way to set the bar really low. Well, we'll try it out and see if we can get along. Realize that the, if, if the average divorce rate is 50%, the divorce rate among people who live together before marriage is 75%. 75% of those marriages will never last. I know what you're thinking. Well, if they don't get married, then they don't get divorced. So that throws the stat off. I know, I understand. Right? Okay. Interesting that our culture, long before today's uh, culture war over marriage, the last 50 years, marriage has slowly been devalued by our culture. And these other ideas have taken its place. But suddenly, marriage has been catapulted to an important issue again, as long as we redefine it. For many years, it was there was no importance in getting married. And this idea of living together before marriage is to try it out. I, I want to get what I want, but I don't really want the commitment. It's a dangerous place. It's, it's not biblical, but certainly, if you don't believe in the Bible, at least believe that it's unwise. Not just right and wrong. Let's talk about what is a wise decision in your life. If, I've heard this from couples. Well, if we get married, we may get divorced. That's true. I'm not sure if that's a logical argument against marriage. Uh, if you date, you might break up, so don't date. I, there's no logical conclusion that we can come to because marriage doesn't cause divorce. If I buy a car, I might crash. Yeah, you could say that, but it's not a logical conclusion. Buying a car does not make you crash. 
realize that in this becoming uh, one man and one woman, the two become one, this is a spiritual thing. It's also referring to this act of sex. It was the real sealing of the deal, if you would, in the marriage covenant in that day. The marriage was sealed. The contract was signed in that moment, in that unit, in that union. This, again, purposeful recreation. Gosh, I thought there would be more laughter there. You guys are just like junior hires. Just, oh, my gosh, he said sex in church. I love junior hires. But we've made sex casual like a handshake. It's no big deal. And we, we scatter it all over the media. But we try to protect you. We try to protect you, we say. Look how generous and caring we are because we hand out condoms at schools. And we say, here you go, okay, you're going to do it anyway, so just go on and do it. There you go. Okay, kids, here's your bike helmet, go play in the street, you're going to do it anyway. It's not a wise thing to do, parents. It's just not a wise thing to do. And you should make it a big deal in your house. You should have conversations as awkward as you feel. Having that conversation with your kids at an appropriate age as you build their identity in Christ, you must have these important conversations. You must guard their eyes. You must guard their hearts and their minds. What are they watching? What are they listening to? What are you allowing to influence how they see the world? That is your most important job, parents. So we have God-created marriage. It's between one man and one woman. And the final thing is it's meant for a lifetime. The Bible says that they are no longer two, but the two become one. I like duct tape, and here's my Mizzou duct tape. This is me, right? M-I-Z. There you go. And so this is my wife. She is uh, like purple and blue leopard print. The two become one. Don't read too deeply into my illustration, but the two become one. There you go. And they come together, and they make a union, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Now, I could try to tear these apart. It won't be easy. I'm already starting to destroy it. This is is what marriage was supposed to be like. This was the ideal. The two become one, not to be separated. And that's what the word divorce means. It's a tearing apart of. It's a ripping. And there's no possible way, even if I got these apart, that these two pieces of tape would be undamaged. They would no longer be whole. And that's the reason God discouraged divorce. It wasn't as a point of condemnation, but as a point of protection. Certainly some of you have entered areas in, in your marriage and where it was just so many circumstances. And I understand, and I know God understands, and there's grace and there's love. But this was the ideal. The two would become one for a lifetime. But divorce became commonplace. And that's what Jesus was addressing. He had religious people as well as the common day person who would divorce their wife for any reason. And that was allowed even among the religious people. You burn dinner, well, divorce. They could literally do that legally. And it may not seem like a big deal in our culture, 
But in that culture, and, and much like you talked about in the Indian culture, with, with a divorce for a woman came, they, there was no rights, there was no property, there was no job, there was no provision. So this, this was a death sentence. This was, this was troubling. What Moses did, what God did through Moses was provide at least legal rights and protection to a woman through the certificate of divorce so she could remarry, so she could find protection and provision. And what Jesus said was, look, this is how it wasn't how it was supposed to be in the beginning. Sure, God granted it because your hearts were so hard, you were, you were headed that direction. He wanted to elevate women. Jesus is elevating women as well as marriage in this moment. This was not how it was supposed to be in the beginning. I know what the law says, and our laws may, may change to allow all sorts of things, but this isn't what God's design was for. It was a perfect environment, both for the, the spouse, both spouses, but for children. The ideal marriage is one where two become one, but like that triangle, God comes into the mix, and when you allow God to surround your marriage, God is camo because, although you can't see him, he's always there. <laughs> you see what I did there? That's pretty cool. That's a good one. I like that. When you have God in the picture, it's just that much more stronger. And that doesn't mean it's not messy, it's not hard, or there's not conflict. It just means there's a way that it's possible See, God made a covenant with his people, first with Israel in the Old Testament and then with all people through the person of Jesus Christ. He made a covenant. A covenant is not a contract. When we enter into biblical marriage, we're making a covenant, not only with our spouse, but with God. And a covenant literally means a binding together as with ropes, when you, when you made a covenant with somebody in the Old Testament, man, you were bound to that, and they would literally bind their wrists as a symbol of this commitment to each other. And this is the idea of the commitment you make in marriage. I know some people have used the idea of ball and chain in the idea of marriage. It's actually more like a three-legged race. You know where you, picnics, like company picnics, you bind your ankle together with somebody else and then you try to run, right? I wanted to do it this morning, but our liability insurance doesn't cover it. <laughs> but I, I love that idea because that's what marriage really is like, isn't it? You're trying to figure out how to navigate life with this other person. So many marriages try to operate independently. You do your thing, I do my thing. We kind of seek each other out for benefits and uh, we'll figure this thing out. But when you bind yourself in covenant, it changes everything. You are no longer your own. Your life is theirs. It's not based on circumstances. And man, I want to challenge you today. Are you dominating your wife in terms of the marriage? Are you dragging her along in that three-legged race because you can? Or are you putting her needs ahead of yours? That's the biblical example of marriage. Verse 10 in the chapter 19 of Matthew that we speak of, the disciples even had a, this twisted view of, of marriage, much like their culture. They say, if this is what we have to do, if I have to stay married to a woman that long, it's probably better that I don't marry. And Jesus says, you know, I don't disagree with you. 
You should become a eunuch. Whoa. <laughs> Quickly explain to your neighbor what a eunuch is so this joke makes sense. You don't want to do that. Okay. Look it up when you get home. Google it. <laughs> you just whispered to him what it was, didn't you? Okay. Jesus doesn't disagree with them. He says, I understand this is, this is a hard thing to accept, but yeah, if you can't handle it, then don't enter into it. Amen. Thank you. Is that an amen to becoming a eunuch? Or, oh, okay, I won't hold you to that. No worries. Okay, moving on. Even the disciples had the cultural's view, culture's view of marriage that devalued women. And Jesus says, no, it's not how it is with you. Jesus valued marriage and this covenant. Like, where a covenant says, I take responsibility for your welfare. I protect you physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I use my words to lift you up. Do you realize your spouse becomes your words? Your spouse becomes your words just as much as your children become your words. Your words become flesh. And so when you speak to your spouse or your children, but specifically your spouse, the words that you say, how you treat them, the tone that you use, all those things go into creating who they are and who they are with you. My wife becomes my words. I've called her hot from day one and it just keeps getting better. <laughs> Fifty shades of red right there. And this is why movies like Fifty Shades of, of Grey, I don't preach on, on what culture is doing necessarily, but, but I think about movies like that that promote abuse in all sorts of different ways. And it doesn't appeal to me because it's not healthy. I teach my kids to be careful with their words and to not hit. And those movies don't line up with the values of Scripture when you enter into a covenant, realize that in a covenant you choose. In, in marriages that I perform, we always do basically a choosing. People always ask me, well, how do I know if I'm in love? I said, you're in love the moment you choose that person as the only one for you forever. That's love right there. That's the act. That's the moment that you've chosen that person. So in the marriage ceremony, there's a point before the I do's, we say, I will. Do you, you or will you choose this person every day until you die? And each person says, I will. I will choose this person every day as mine for the rest of my life. So what are you doing today to become the best husband or wife for your spouse? This glorifies Jesus. Biblical marriage doesn't need a defense as much as it needs awesome examples. Culture wouldn't have so much of a problem if we lived out the biblical values of marriage in such a way. Because marriage was supposed to be the earthly example of the relationship between God and humans. It was the living symbol of Christ and his church. Jesus calls the church his bride whom he chose. I'm a dude and I kind of like, I'm a bride, I don't get it, okay, I, but I get the symbolism. When we sing, sang that song this morning ab, about how great uh, God's love for us is, it's, and we're singing about kisses and stuff, and I'm like, this is weird. We're in church, and we're singing about unforeseen kisses, but we're talking about a great love that none can comprehend. 
Our words and our songs barely cover it. Marriage isn't just about legal stuff. You can't outlaw love. I understand that many people make that their, their poster. You can't outlaw love. Well, if you did, the music industry would go out of business. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. Just as Christ chose us before we ever chose him. That's the idea of choosing. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his great love for us in this, in this moment. That when we were still sinners, we were still far from him, when we were his enemies, God sent Christ. He died for us. That's the choosing. That's the example of choosing. And Christ chose you. He chose me before we ever chose him. And he chooses us every day. He opens up that door. Many of you have run from Christ for maybe your life or maybe for a season. And yet that door is open. You know why? Because his mercies are new every morning, Scripture says. It means that he's choosing you again today. He's saying, I choose you. Choose me back. This is the the biblical example of marriage, is this great love the Father has demonstrated to us through the person of Jesus. Before we ever got prettied up or put the dress or the tuxedo on, God chose us, and he became sin for us. Band, I want you to come as we close this morning. Jesus became, or did for us, what we could not do for ourselves. He became for us what we could not become of ourselves. And this is the example of covenant love. That Christ would do something like that for you, for me. This is the biblical example of marriage. And today, church, as the band comes, would you stand with me? In this holy moment, perhaps you've never chosen Christ or maybe you've walked away for a season and you need to re-choose, you need to receive the free love that Christ has for you. The thing about God is, I think the church is pretty clear sometimes that he'll take you just as you are and I, I wholeheartedly embrace that God will take you just as you are. But don't miss this. He doesn't want to keep you that way. Amen. You were meant for so much more. You don't have to clean yourself up. That's his job. Simply be chosen today. Church, would you bow your heads and close your eyes in this holy, eternal moment as someone in this room, I believe, needs to make that decision today to choose. Choose the love the Father has for you demonstrated in the person of Jesus. Choose faith today. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if that's you. You'll simply pray a prayer with all of those in this room that have already made that commitment, that choice. And in that prayer, there is a choosing. That's an acceptance of God's forgiveness that's provided through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the new life that's promised because of his resurrection from the dead. That's the gospel. So in this moment, if that's you, would you simply raise your hand? You can put it right back down. We're just going to pray with you. I'm not going to point you out. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Just raise it and put it right back down. Thank you. Anybody else?
Church, we're going to pray with those who raise their hands, a prayer of salvation. And then, if you'll permit me, I want to pray a blessing over all of our marriages. I'm going to pray over all of our singles. For those who are divorced, we're going to pray a blessing over you. And for those who've been remarried, we're going to pray a blessing over you as well. But in this moment, let's pray with those who've made the choice today to enter into the covenant love the Father has for us through the person of Jesus. Would you pray out loud with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for your great love you demonstrated through your death on a cross. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you. Thank you for the new life I receive today. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray that you would bless every marriage in this room. Lord, I pray where there is brokenness, there would be healing by the power of your Holy Spirit. You would surround our marriages with your Holy Spirit's power to walk above uh, those things that seem to separate. In a world that continues to hammer away at the value of marriage, would you lift it up and would you find us to be faithful examples of biblical marriage as followers of Christ? Well, for every person who is single in this room today, Lord, I pray that you would help them navigate what you have for them, whether you are calling them to a life of singleness or to a life of marriage. And I pray, Father, as they navigate that, that you would first and foremost bring your best out of them as they seek your kingdom above everything else. Protect them. Make make the path of righteousness straight for them as they seek you. Father, for those who are divorced, walking through divorce, Father, I pray for protection of children, for the heart's of everyone involved, that your truth may be revealed and wholeness would be found. I pray for grace. Father, for those who are remarried, would you strengthen that bond, that commitment? We believe you. We trust you. Bless your people as we are light in the darkness, as we navigate the gray in this world and be the light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. Hey, if you raise your hand today and made that prayer for the first time, would you take a moment? There's a card in the back of the seat, our connection card. Just fill out the appropriate box and swing by our connection center out in the front. We've got a, a book we'd love to put in your hand. Have a great week. We look forward to seeing you next week in Shades of Gray. Hey, we are so glad you listened in. If you made a decision to follow Christ today or would like more information about a deeper relationship with Christ, we would love to hear from you. Simply email nextsteps at c2church.com.